from the headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, simulcast on shortwave radio and Citizens Band 14. This is the world's most popular podcast with Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth, featuring musical guest Sting. Canada is closed. Death in the family. The GMB team looks back at a reaction to the death of Gord Downey. We'll look at the stories behind some of the most popular tracks. Plus, the new Gore Downey album that's coming soon. We'll tell you what makes it unique for fans of The Tragically Hit. And now, Alan Cross and Michael Hainsworth. At GeeksandBeats.com, writer Krista Sampson put together a great collection of tweets in response to the death of Gord Downey from politicians, musicians, and just everyday people. The best tweet I saw came from somebody in the NHL, and it read, Canada closed, death in the family. Everything I learned about hockey, I learned from Gord Downey. Justin Trudeau tweeted on behalf of Canadians, I thank Gord Downey and the hip for their decades of service to Canadian music forever in our hearts and playlists. He came out there on Parliament Hill to make a statement and started crying. Yeah. I've been trying to explain to people I know in America and around the world how this country has managed to come to a complete and crashing halt because of the death of a rock star, including our, our prime minister. Uh, and, and it's it's really hard to explain. New York Times probably did it best when they said that if you could imagine Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and who was the other one? Bob Dylan, Bruce Springsteen, and Michael Stipe all put together, then you have the beginnings of what... Gord Downing meant to Canada. Blue Rodeo tweeted, thinking about the incredible Gord Downing and sending him and his family all our love. As I understand it, there was quite the incestuous musician relationship with Blue Rodeo and the tragically hip, them working on each other's music. Yeah, Greg Keeler from, the, uh, from Blue Rodeo released a, a song called Gord Song. Runs about eight minutes, and it is, uh, it's beautiful. It really is a beautiful tribute. We put together at geeksandbeats.com as well our own tributes to to the tragically hip front man uh, by compiling our favorite songs. And right out of the gate, 
no surprise, right at the top of the list, Krista Sampson with Courage, Freaky McLennan. Watch the band, a bunch of dancers, quickly follow the unknown. Clennon was a great Canadian author that Gord Downey was very fond of. He was the guy that invented the term two solitudes when describing both Ontario and Quebec, or actually Quebec and the rest of Canada. And uh, Gord is a voracious reader, and he thought that, uh, you know, he was Canada's history teacher. So he would go read a book, learn about a concept about Canadian history, Canadian politics, and turn it into a song. And I know a lot of people who ended up going into the whole Hugh McLennan uh, uh, you know, bibliography uh, because of that song. And, and that was the beautiful thing about the Tragic Leap. He would drop a name, uh, he would drop an event, he would drop a place name, and you would be motivated to go look it up and find out where it was from. You know, he was a history teacher, he was a geography teacher, he was a sociology teacher, he was a political science teacher. It, it was really cool the way he managed to communicate things those ways. One of the tweets that I liked was the fact that someone had pointed out that he leaned on Canadiana without it being schlocky. It wasn't for the sake of it. It was just, this was his country. He happened to include references to things that happened in his country. Right. Now, you are old enough to remember how bad and how difficult it was with Canadian content with radio through the 70s and 80s. <laughs> it was terrible. It's why Anne Murray had the longevity she had, really. The DeFranco family and Terry Jacks. And there, there was a period where we had to fill 30% of our playlists with Canadian music. And up until the CanCon rules came into effect in 1971, we really didn't have a Canadian music industry. We didn't have record labels. We didn't have recording studios or managers or producers or engineers or venues or any of those things because we were basically a branch plant of either the United States or the UK. We just brought in what they offered and distributed it here. Canadian artists were completely given short shrift and they had nothing to work with. So we had this industrial strategy that was announced by Pierre Junot guy who gives us, you know, that's why we have the Juno Awards, not only created this cultural incentive, but it was also an industrial policy. We needed all the infrastructure. And because it takes a while to get that infrastructure built and in operation and funded, and then it takes a while longer for the artists to start filtering through that infrastructure. It took us about 15 years before we really started to get our act together as, as, as far as a music make, uh, as far as a music making nation is concerned. Then we get to the 1990s and things explode. And now Canada is arguably the most unlikely exporter of tremendous amounts of music to the rest of the world. Given that we have 36 million people, we punch way beyond our weight when it comes to music on the world stage. Dr. Proximo chose Ahead by a Century as his definite favorite, and this harkens back to your point about I'm old enough to know. Uh, you and I are old enough to now have people tell us that they considered it a favorite because he, quote, singing along to that with my mom in the car is one of my favorite memories from my time in Eastern Canada. Yeah. First thing we climbed the tree And made it then we 
silently and listen to our thoughts, illusions of someday cast in a golden light. No dress rehearsal. This is our life. What do you know of ahead by a century? Um, not, not as much as I should, actually. I'm going to have to look that up, actually. See, Gord Downey, he's still working his magic. And that's where the heart has stung me. Fame Alexander chose Little Bones. He says, I have no story at all. It's just a favorite track. I don't have any stories connected to any hip tracks. I just dig their music. I, I know what Little Bones is all about. Uh, Gord Downey was eating a chicken salad sandwich and there was a bone in it and he almost choked. <laughs> so he wrote a song. Seriously. That's the basis behind the song? Yes. Listen to the words. And you ask, my, my favorite part about the song, though, is that if you've got that problem with misheard lyrics, this track doesn't help you in that department at all. Oh, what do you hear? It starts with two fifty for a highball and a buck and a half for a beer, but then you get to the next verse and it's two fifty for a decade and a buck and a half for a year. At some point you're thinking, wait a minute, did I mishear the first <laughs> stanza? Because I thought it was something completely different, and by the end of it, it's a completely different tone. I'll tell you, if you can tell me where you can get a highball for two fifty and a beer for a dollar fifty, uh, we're going. <laughs> Even when that came out in the early nineties, <laughs> that was pretty optimistic. That was that was discount pricing. It gets so sticky down here. get a chance at the time to sit down and think of which hip track spoke to me the most. So long after the wife and kids were asleep, I mirrored my iPhone to the Apple TV. I pulled up my own library of hip songs. See, I was kind of like Shane. I was never a 
big, huge fan. I didn't really come along until fully completely. So that was like the first album that I pulled up. And of course, you know, like Krista Sampson, Courage would have been a natural choice. But at 1 a.m., I didn't really feel like it met the criteria of the man that we've been calling a poet first and a rock star second. So as soon as I spotted Bob Cajun from the 98 album Phantom Power, that track won uh, the band uh, Juno for single of the year, I found out later. When I, when I saw it, I was instantly transported back to a moment in time. And I think that's the greatest power of music to trigger a memory, sort of like an audible time machine. Mm-hmm. So here we are, 2004. My friends and I make the annual trek to the cottage to get bombed out of our gourds and forget about life as a Gen Xer in our 30s. Uh, but in an effort to give the, the weekend more of a shine than Drunk Fest, we called them symposiums. Okay. And each of us had to have a topic we would address. One friend brought his mini disc recorder, remember those days, uh, and uh, another brought his guitar. So I hit uh, the track, and suddenly I'm back at that family cottage in Bob Cajun, and my buddy Sean is playing Bob Cajun on his acoustic. It got me thinking about that moment in time, you know, who we all were then and how much our lives were about to change. Shortly after that weekend, um, my best friend would move to the East Coast. We would have a falling out. I wouldn't talk to him for almost a decade. Shortly after that weekend, the honeymoon period for me and my bride would wear off. You know, the roller coaster nature of every marriage was about to begin and we were trying to figure out who we really were. Shortly after that weekend, my mother's second husband walked out on her. Difficult relationship with her and me would come to a head. I'd only see her one more time uh, and on her deathbed uh, about a decade later. And then a year later, that ex-husband, the man who taught me how to hold a hammer, would be found dead floating face down in Ashbridge's Bay after getting shit-faced and falling off a sailboat. So I thought of all these people I loved and, and how soon after that weekend life would throw us all so much pain. And suddenly all of that emotion I had buried deep in my psyche over the years welled up. And as Gord's voice crescendoed, I just lost it. That night in Toronto with its checkerboard floors, riding on horseback and keeping order restored till the man they couldn't hang stepped to the mic and sang and their voices rang with that airy and Pouring of emotion. I thought you were just going to say, "Ah, oh, well, we went to this symposium and then we were sitting around a campfire, and this girl kissed me on the on the cheek." I was like, "Ooh, this was really cool." No, oh, Jesus. All right. Well, um, my song was uh, "Blow It High Doe" uh, for no other reason than I like the beginning because it starts nice and quiet, and then all of a sudden, bam, it kicks in. The shot of moving once in my hometown. Everybody was in it. Miles around Out at the speedway Some kind of thing. Well I ain't no movie star But I can get behind anything Yeah I can get behind anything Right. 
And I remember seeing the the hip at a place in, in Toronto on the Danforth called the Spectrum back in 19... It was a CFMI Christmas show, and I think it was 1989. Terrible snowstorm just before Christmas. And uh, we put together a, a station band, and we opened for the hip. And uh, <laughs> I, I remember there were, we had a guy on staff named Brother Bill. And uh, Brother Bill was a huge hip fan. And what he did was he jumped up on the stage and I'm pretty sure it was during Blow It High Deal. And it starts, like I say, quiet. You know, they made a movie once in my hometown. Everybody was in it for miles around. And then um, Gort says, I can get behind anything. And just before it all kicks in, Brother Bill dives off the stage. Oh, no. Perfectly executed stage dive. The crowd in front parts like the Red Sea and <laughs> bam, face first on the floor of the oh. spectrum. And the weird thing was, if you know the song, when Johnny Faye comes in with the with the cymbal crash and the song kicks uh, kicks kicks in, that's exactly when he hit the floor. <laughs> so it's timed perfectly. Wow, that's amazing. Kind of pales comparison to your your emotional. Uh, story about Bob Cajun, but okay. I think it speaks to the power of Gord Downey's lyrics, though. His imagery and the role that music plays in guiding our lives. You know, of course, life ebbs and flows. Things are great now. My estranged friend has come out on the other side of things for himself, a stronger man and a father, a fantastic father. We've reconnected. I've never had more respect for the man. Things have never been better between my bride and me, and I've put behind me the deaths of my mother and stepfather who largely abandoned me in my teenage years for a cocaine-fueled party life. What? What? Really? Oh, yeah. The, the, the worst one was that when I was a little kid, every Christmas, my mom would pull me aside and tell me that uh, it's going to be a, a hard Christmas, a difficult Christmas, so please don't, don't expect too much. And that was like three Christmases in a row. And she told me one day uh, when I was in my 20s or so that um, I had lost it. And I said, it's always a, a difficult Christmas. It's always a tight Christmas. And she went right up to the bank and got a loan to buy Christmas gifts. Oh. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I found out the reason why Christmases were always tight. She was uh, sending those Christmas gifts up her nose. And now you've turned into Michael J. Fox and Alex P. Keaton. Isn't that a little weird? It is a bit weird. But the neat thing about the Bob Cajun moment that I had was that I realized the only member of the Symposium 2004, because that was the year that we, we were up there, who's been a rock through that entire period of my life was the guy who was strumming the guitar as we watched the constellations reveal themselves one star at a time. Up to your house this morning Just a little after
Everybody has a tragically hip story. Everybody does. Did you know the only reason he chose Bob Cajun as the name of the town was that it rhymed with Constellation? <laughs> really? Yes. Oh, that's fine. That's... Listen, you find inspiration in the weirdest places. Well, to your point about Gord Downey as historian, the uh, song is widely considered to be a reference to the riots in Christie Pitts in Toronto in 1933, uh, the battle between a, a working class Jewish community and anti-Semitics after a baseball game. But it's also considered that maybe it was more about the Heritage Front and the anti-racist action in Toronto in 93, just before Downey wrote the song. The big blow up that had happened at the Horseshoe Tavern. And he does talk about the checkerboard floors, which is what you see in, in, in the in the Horseshoe Tavern. Right. So I would go with the, the latter theory. The thing that gets me, though, is there are a whole bunch of unanswered questions like this. And you would think that once we got the brain cancer diagnosis, that we would have sat him down and said, OK, we got a ton of questions. We want all the answers. Well, I sat down with Gordon a number of times over the years, and one of the things that you could never ask him about was, what were you trying to say with this particular song? He would just look at really? you. Yes. He would look at you and go, I don't know. What do you think? I'm not going to tell you. He never, ever really explicitly explained himself when it came to any any song he did for the hip or any... Um, uh, any solo material that he wrote. He would give you some vague answers or some basic answers, uh, but he would never, when you asked him, when you would ask him to, you know, what does this particular line mean? Or what were you trying to say with this? He would just shrug his shoulders and look at you and go, whatever you think. And that's actually good poetry because what it does is forces you and other people to interpret it in a multitude of different ways and a multitude of different personal ways. There are no right answers. It's only what it means and feels to you. Well, I think that also explains why he's changed his story about who he's singing about in Bob Cajun because if you watch the music video it's clearly about a Toronto cop who's thinking about quitting his job and the only solace he finds is in the arms of his lover in Bob Cajun where he watches the constellations reveal themselves one star at a time and the the lover is a, an, a young Asian woman, but he had been asked in the past about that relationship and he had said he was a love story about two cops male cops it was a gay love story or maybe he was just yanking everybody's chain i mean that's one of the things that lyricists do all the time uh they get bored answering the same questions over and over again so every once in a while they just may make something up just to throw everybody off the scent <laughs> i've had that happen to me lots and lots of times where i've interviewed somebody on different occasions and i'll ask the same question like what does this song mean and i'll get two completely different answers and then i'll go back and say well that's not what you said the last time so yes it was oh yeah that's what i said Okay, fine, whatever. Time now for a Geeks and Beats update. London, Bangkok, New York, Cincinnati. From the worldwide headquarters of Geeks and Beats magazine, this is a GNB News Update. Amber Healy reports we've got a new Gord Downey album coming out at the end of the week. We do. On the 27th, it will be called uh, Introduce Yourself. It's 23 tracks that were recorded in two, three or four day sessions with Kevin Drew of Broken Social Scene. The recordings uh, wrapped up in February, and every single one of these songs is apparently written about a specific real life person. So... Um, we'll be going through this album very, very carefully, because when this album was made, of course, Gord knew that he was dying. 
And we might be able to get some hints as to what he was thinking, what he was feeling, what he was afraid of, what he was looking forward to, what his his regrets were, all that sort of stuff. Much like what we did with David Bowie, because he knew he was dying of liver cancer. So he got a whole bunch of stuff ready for his exit from planet Earth. He did the Lazarus musical. He did the Black Star album, basically orchestrating his way off the planet. And um, Gord, as an artist, I could see him wanting to do exactly the same sort of thing. One of the things that he did do was he made the most of the time that he had left with the uh, uh, Brain Cancer Foundation at Sunnybrook Hospital, with the Cheney Wenjack Fund, with some of the other charities that he was working with and some of the other people he was working with. So he made every moment count as, as much as he possibly could in his last year and a half or so. Maybe some of that is chronicled in this record. We'll find out. It's awfully risky, though, considering your hits are behind you to go out with a new album of material. I I would hate if this was me for it to only get a lukewarm response. Well, Gord Downey solo albums have sold. There have been three of them, and they have sold a grand total of 108,000 copies. So not a lot. They are, you can call them vanity projects, you can call them... Um, artistic projects that have never been designed for, you know, commercial success. Uh, But I think it will be interesting to see exactly how people respond to this. It's not done through a major label. I think this one is done through Arts and Crafts. And uh, we'll see what kind of response it gets. Will people want to jump in and buy it just because it's Gord and it's the last thing they'll ever buy from him? Or will it be another Coke Machine Glow or Nude where people you know, just the hardcore fans buy it. So usually at this point, we would do the top three stories at geeksandbeats.com and Amber Healy's uh, reporting on the new album coming out is, is part of that. But the the most popular articles on the website this week, of course, have been the playlist and the obituary and, and all of that. And this entire episode is co-produced by Geeks and Beats listener Victor Biggio, who, uh, as we've discussed in the past, you can, for 25 bucks, be a co-producer, get your name on the album art, and we'll ship it off to you and you can uh, frame it and print it and put it in your parents' basement. But he's also the creator of GNB Mug Tour, the hashtag on our Twitter feed. Yeah, he has been hauling his Miracle Travel mug of traveling all over the world, taking pictures wherever he's been, um, which is something I promised to do but never did, So because Victor does it much better than I do. <laughs> and I would, would encourage anybody, again, I will say this again, this is the best travel mug you will ever ever possess. I still have my original one. There's one little dent in it, and that's because the dog knocked it off the counter and uh, it hit hit the floor. Uh, but I have been using... Whoa, constantly- whoa, whoa, hang on. Your dogs are, are not the kind of dogs that you put on the counter. How did your dogs get on the counter in the first place? Um, no, I was, okay, sorry. That was on the table. The dog sits at the table. Oh, no, this has changed. Oh, wait, 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 hang on, back up. At the table still? Well, You're yeah. okay with that? Yeah, I mean, Schmooze pulls up a chair and sits at the table. What what else would she do? <laughs> After she's finished working on her memoir? <laughs> anyway, she knocked it over. It hit a hit a hit um, an angled uh, part of the table and, and got this tiny little dent in it. But I use it every single day. If you can get a Miracle Travel mug of traveling, you will never, ever be disappointed in it. We were talking, of course, about uh, the history of the Fender guitar, and we talked a little bit about the keytar. And then I don't know why, but the keytar as a theme keeps coming up on the big show. And Geeks and Beats listener Dan Hopkins writes, Have you ever heard about keytar bear in Boston? What? 
No. What's that? Nobody's talking about Keytar no Bear. No. I'm going to send you a link to Keytar Bear right now. All right. So go to your little chat window here. Uh-huh. And I'm going to play for you a little Keytar Bear if I can hit paste. There we go. Jesus, what is this? <laughs> it's a guy in a giant lovable bear suit playing the guitar. This is in Boston. In Boston. And he got his ass kicked the other day. Oh, he did. Oh, he, in- Yes. He got badly attacked by some jerks, Dan writes. The community has come to his aid. There is now an Indiegogo project for a guitar bear fundraiser <laughs> to help the guy's medical needs. Okay. So far, they've raised 5560 bucks. 252 Bostonians said, I'm willing to help shell out for Key Bear. Okay. Well, uh, it's nice to see that humanity is coming to the rescue for another species. <laughs> Not only is it a bear, he's a keytar player. Uh, technically, by the way, under Obamacare, this would be okay. But under Trump care, this would be a pre-existing condition. <laughs> yes. Yes. The, the man is obviously touched in the head because he dresses as a bear and plays a keytar. That's two conditions. <laughs> Catch all new episodes of Geeks and Beats Wednesdays on iTunes. And watch for Geeks and Beats magazine on a newsstand near you. To be part of next week's show, call area code 323-319-NERD. Follow the stories on Twitter, Facebook, and get your dose of Geeks and Beats anytime at geeksandbeats.com.